0: U.S. 131 Motorsports Park. What you like most about drag racing. We are live right now with
1: Modified to the Lanes. Welcome to the U.S. 131 Motorsports Park Drag Racing Podcast. Strap in and hang on for all the latest news, results, and happenings from the fastest quarter-mile track in the world. Gary and Justin will offer different perspectives for what's going on at the track, and highlighting different drivers
0: and events along the way. This week we'll be covering... Justin? Well, we have a little bit of results from this last weekend. Uh, the weather was the big winner. <laughs> yeah. Last weekend it was you know another typical early spring day. Not sure why we're still getting that kind of weather in middle of May here, but it is what it is at this point. Nothing mm-hmm. we can do about it. And we'll talk a little bit about the Memorial Day weekend race coming up, the Memorial Day Racer Appreciation Race. Mm-hmm. And we'll also have a an exciting interview with Mark Wessler joining us in studio. All right, and it'll it may be a little bit shorter of a a show this week, being that we're pretty light on results and mm-hmm. and no bracket racing last weekend. But we'll uh, we'll bring you something to listen to this well, week.
1: Great. Well, thank you for taking the time to download and listen to our show. If you enjoy it, please rate us accordingly, and tell your fan, friends and family. If you have any ideas or suggestions, please let us know.
0: Well, last weekend they had the Battle of the Titans race. It was kind of the Brian Chucky Davis birthday. Birthday, yeah. Um, they had they had a lot of neat things going on. They had a, a test and tune for the day Friday, get things kinda in order and and everything. And and Saturday was the race. They had like three or four different classes I think and pretty looked, decent crowd looks like sounded like a decent crowd <laughs> looked like uh looked like there were some people in the stands watching and and droves of people on the starting line as <laughs> is <laughs> pretty much normal for for the grudge type racing but mm-hmm. they've really only crowned one winner this last weekend and that was David Atkins okay. the local guy here he's got a an yeah. LS powered 70 Camaro now right and he picked up a 5 grand win in the basically run what you brung and mm-hmm. hope you brung enough class
1: yeah what i saw on the uh Oh, it was a Facebook post. We saw the finals. Pretty Yeah, I think so. Yeah,
0: it was close close to me anyway.
1: That was a full quarter mile, those guys?
0: I think it's eighth mile. I don't know that anybody running that fast is going quarter mile anymore, aside from the NHRA races, you know, the pro mods and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. as far as anything kind of grudge racing or anything like that, pretty much everybody's on the eighth mile now.
1: So Jonathan Capizzi had a neat uh, in-car camera shot of that yeah, Mustang. Yeah,
0: I saw that. He
1: kind of drifted to the center yeah. line.
0: Yeah, <laughs> thing just sort started driving to the left, and oh, man, he that had to step off of it. Do a little bit of driving at the other end. That thing flies. Oh yeah, Chevrolet-powered Mustang, right? Yep, that's got a that's got a little LS motor in it too. I think that was just mm-hmm. a 5.3, three, and wow. yeah, that's a. He's got that thing working pretty yeah, he good. Yeah,
1: do some magic with those turbochargers. Oh
0: yeah, so. Coming up in a couple weekends is this Memorial Day Racer Appreciation. It's a first annual event. It's an inaugural race that uh, Jason and, and the crew here put together. And I'm going to go out on a limb and just say that with racer support, this thing will grow. So mm-hmm. if, if it's supported, uh, Jason's shown that year after year with the bottom ball bash and junior dragster bonanza, that he's not afraid to, to put a little bit more money in the pot. Not afraid to do some cool stuff and try some different things as long as it gets support. So mm-hmm. and that's that's where that's where it's up to us to you know make the plans to be here Memorial Day weekend. It's really only two days. Like there's a test of tune mm-hmm. Friday that's pretty much just for the people that are here for the weekend.
1: Right. Pit and vehicle race Friday night. There's to
0: be a pit vehicle race Friday night starting at nine. It's that's always, always a great time. Sure. And and it's gonna be five grand to win in box and in no box, both days. Okay. So and it's just a hundred ninety-five dollar entry, and there's also junior dragsters. Uh, It'll be an all-run junior dragster class, thirty-five dollar entry each day, and three hundred and fifty to win, one hundred and fifty runner-up, seventy-five dollars semis, and fifty dollars quarters. But that and that's uh, and actually the eleven ninety the beginner cars will run separate until there's one winner, and they'll get a fifty dollar bonus. So
1: two shots at five K for less than two hundred bucks.
0: Yes. And that's two separate classes, box yeah. and no box. So five each. Yeah. And that's... Saturday
1: a, and Sunday.
0: Right. So $1,000 runner-up, $375 semis, mm-hmm. $175 quarters, eighth eighth finalists. so 16 cars, pays $125, and 32 cars, the round of 32, will pay $75. So that's a, a $75 buyback. Mm-hmm. First or second first round. First or second round. That's kind of nice. Yeah. So... It'll it'll be a good time. Um, it we'll see how how things go, but I think this will be a good time, and I think that as long as the as long as racers support this, there's there's definitely room to grow here.
1: What do you know about this little bonus shootout race after third
0: round on Saturday? So this is this is something kind of cool, and it's not anything that I've seen done a whole lot as of late, anyway. But basically, if you're out starting third round, right? So. Right. I mean, that's probably going to beat be, in the third round, right? Or before there's a $50 entry, all mm-hmm. run box and no box. The box, the no box cars will be run separately yeah. for the first four rounds. of course. Mm-hmm. And basically there's a $4,000 purse and that's left up to the racers as to how that is split up. Okay. So I would imagine at somewhere near the round of eight or so, the conversation takes place. Like we've got four grand here. Mm-hmm. Is there any interest in cutting this up? Or is somebody gonna say, no, nah, let's wait another round? <laughs> <laughs> all right. But that's that's something kind of cool that's that's been added in there. That's just Saturday night after after third round, it'll it, you know, fifty dollars gets you in, four thousand dollars will be in the purse.
1: No limit on the cars?
0: No limit on okay. the cars. So And it's all eighth mile. The both entire buses, race. Yep, both places run eighth mile. Okay. So that's a uh, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. If mm-hmm. if you've got know some people that like to race for you know some decent money, I mean five grand's not not big money anymore to speak of, but I would say it's it's a it's a decent payday. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. Right? Guaranteed money. One
1: day entry is a hundred and a quarter. Looks like on the yep. flyer. Yeah. You can't be here for both, but one ninety five for both.
0: Yep. So check out check out Facebook for more details. They have a, a flyer on the US 131 Motorsports Park page and and check out all the event info there.
1: Yeah. and then it gives you a Monday a Memorial Day off. Yeah, to, to, to go play at the lake time. if it's gotten
0: warm enough by then or <laughs> right. whatever you've got going on. Yeah. So, but that's gonna that's gonna lead us into our uh, our discussion with Mark Wessler. Great, Mark. I've I've known Mark for for quite a long time. We were talking off air. But we we went to high school together and along with a few others that race here regularly. I don't know what's in the water, not Seagull, but...
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we grew up in the shadows of the place and, uh, you know, just could never get away. Right. right. So here we end up, exactly. I mean, guys like... We talked about Roy, yep. Roy, Roy Parish and in Chris Wells, uh, just a bunch of us who... Uh, really? Our parents were into it, and, you know, here we are, Yeah, right? So we just could never Drummond. really get away. But a couple of things here, as you guys were kind of talking on the intro... Uh, First of all that uh, Brian Chucky Davis event, right? Like, drag racing has has long been alive and well in the oh, south yeah. particularly, right? Yeah, I mean that's sort sure. of started no time no time deal the no scoreboards and uh, it's it's kind of made its way north. Yep. Right? So it's good to have those kind of events here. There's multiple forms of drag racing, right? We might be oh, bracket sure. race guys or mm-hmm. NHRA class race guys or whatever it is, but as long as the racetrack's being used, the events are well run and and they're being put together correctly they could be profitable events for the racetrack and that's what's important sure i mean when we're taking a look at the racetrack as a business model right not just a place where we get to come hang out but Mm -hmm. a shout out to my buddy uh jimmy bradshaw who was here this weekend him and his wife dana came up from south carolina he owns a company called sticky mafia i believe is the name of it Uh, but uh, i've worked with jimmy on and off for years on honing his track prep skills uh, we started their at Capital Raceway that his father owned. So a big shout-out to him. I okay. guess he came up. I guess the track was really good. I saw some pictures of some guys lo- losing some shoes out there on the starting <laughs> line. And, you know, but so good to him. And, and then, the you know, the Memorial Day race. You mentioned this. You're right. In today's day and age of big-money bracket racing, $5,000 to win is, isn't is huge. No. But it's a heck of a race. It is right, and, absolutely. And, and we we really need the local support, right? We'll be here racing, of course. And but you know we need uh, we need to make sure the guys come out, guys and girls, the kids, and for the kids or for the junior parents that might think, well, hey, it's only one class, and I know Gary, you mentioned there that the eleven ninety or something run second, yeah, mm-hmm. or separate to a, to a winner. But that, I don't think that should scare anybody off. No. Letting your kids run with older kids only makes them better. And my experience is is that when they do get that opportunity, that eventually they'll shine through. Oh, for sure. And it'll make them better racers week in and week out. So that when exactly. they do go back to their individual classes, you'll you'll find that skill set continue to get built. Oh, for sure. So mm-hmm. definitely. Good points.
0: Yeah, and, and I mean, I've I've never steered my kids away from an trying all run it. class or trying different mm-hmm. things or no. you know. And and we were talking we were talking about this race going somewhere this last weekend in the car and and. My son, Jay's kind of had a, a disappointed look when he found out it was one class and said, dude, you, you can't have that look. I mean, don't don't beat yourself before you even get to the race. You're track.
2: right. There's no better opportunity to to show everybody that you, know, you, can, you can do it. Oh, absolutely. Right? And it's, it's a heck of a confidence booster as they move on through the season if they can do absolutely. well at an
1: all-run event. So. It'll only make you better. It will only make you better. If you, if you think you're a good golfer, go, go try a nice tough course sometime. Yeah, definitely. Or yeah. play
0: around with Tiger Woods or yeah. something and like you'll that. You'll come back a better golfer. <laughs> for sure yeah, for sure so mark i mean i know that your your introduction into racing probably had something to do with hot wheels cars or <laughs> you know basically <laughs> that was the start of it on the bleachers on the bleachers or on the on the trailer ramps or whatever like we talked the other day but tell us a little bit about how you came to to know and love drag racing
2: well yeah the, yeah justin i mean there's no doubt that i was a track brat here oh, yeah. right like so many of us were that uh, had that opportunity um and just just grew up here you know back when of course john and nancy on the racetrack and you know, used to come in every every saturday at three o'clock yep right? like you know come heck or high water we were going to 131 and back things were different then you know there was a points program almost weekly almost yep. only on saturday nights yep mm-hmm. and uh the track opened at three and you know at two o'clock the you know the line was all the way back down the dirt road and <laughs> you know back when uh my old man had a ramp truck and open trailer. and uh, <laughs> So, you know, things were so much different. But that, that was it, right? You were right. just here for, it's just early on, and that's just what we did. And I didn't know any different. I didn't know there was a life outside of what happened here on Saturday nights. No. So just, just what we did as a family, we came up here, we went racing. And, um, you know, you, you, as a kid, you kind of had free run of the place, oh, just yeah. as so many of the kids do today, because it's a great place to grow up. And, and, you know, your parents knew if you got out of line, like they'd be the last one to know. Because some other some other parent already took care of it, mm-hmm. so but that's that's how I ended up here as a kid, just hanging out with my dad. So
1: what made you decide to become uh, motorsports for your career path?
2: That, you know, Gary, that's a good question. I, again, I don't know that I chose motorsports. Right? I feel like more it chose me, and I, I I haven't been able to find a way out. But mm-hmm. uh, that was never my intention. As much as I loved drag racing. I just I never thought I would actually work in motorsports I was always going to work in some sort of professional sports uh minor league sports or I was going to be a high school athletic director which was my real passion Mm -hmm. so after after high school I went to Central Michigan University so uh fired up chips uh and and absolutely (laughs) loved uh loved Mount Pleasant It it was a great community it was really good to me uh spent some time there uh working in the local high school system uh decided to you know after college I was going to come home and um i was just i was going to be a high school athletic director that's what i was kind of just felt like i was destined to do and uh 13 years ago this week unfortunately uh my mentor don knight who is the athletic director at justin and i's high school mm-hmm. uh passed away and uh it just kind of changed my my course changed my action and it probably didn't have to right, right? So, but it did so uh i always tell all the people that uh, i come in contact with now in motorsports, you know that uh I, I, it wasn't what I thought I was going to do, but, but here I am, and it's, motorsports has been really good to me. So uh, my first job right out of college in motorsports was with the Moroso family, Moroso uh, Performance Parts out of uh, Connecticut. They owned a racetrack, the family owned, that Dick Moroso started, and uh, it was in West Palm Beach, Florida. So as a, as a college kid, I can still remember driving out of my parents' driveway, my dad and I driving down the, uh, diving down our street in the middle of a bad snowstorm in December. Uh, I don't, I, yeah, it would have been December or January. And we were headed, uh, we were headed to West Palm with everything I owned. And, uh, we went down there to be the track manager. And it was, uh, it was a really interesting experience in way over my head. Didn't really have much of a clue of what I was doing, but, uh, she said, well, you've been around racetracks your whole life. And I, I think you'd be able to figure it out. And, You know, I just uh, I firmly believed that if I uh, showed up, paid attention and told the truth that I'd be okay. And uh, I was I certainly wasn't smarter, still not smarter than anybody, but uh, nobody's going to outwork me. So we'll get up early, stay late and we'll do whatever it takes. So Mm -hmm. I had some had some pretty immediate success there and uh, had the the opportunity to be part of what I feel is the most prestigious bracket race of all time, and that's the Moroso five-day. That's what I think of when I hear Moroso dragway. Yeah, I think that's still what resonates true today. You know, I was having a conversation with Nick Folk uh, a few weeks ago there at Charlotte. Nick's a past five-day winner, mm-hmm. and he'll tell you that, that the week-long points battle that he won there is as memorable and maybe more prestigious to him than being an NHRA world champion.
0: That, that's huge. Wow. And, and that, that whole thing kind of laid the... the the groundwork for the big money bracket racing scene today. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that was a destination racetrack. You know, where it was paid absolutely huge money at the
2: time when Dick Maroso time. started that deal in the early '80s. There was 500 cars, and, and Gary, that's 500 unique hot rods. That's not right. double entries. That's not wow. I get to drive Justin's, and he gets to drive mine. No, that's 500 unique entries. It was on the quarter mile, right? So still in yep. what we call the long track, right? Mm-hmm. And there was no buybacks and and they started them early and they ran all night and you'd get about an hour of sleep maybe right. and uh then they'd be right back at it the oh, next morning wow.
0: the 5 day marathon
2: yeah it was unbelievable and uh Chris Wells can attest to this he came down and ran the staging lanes for me because it was hard to get people to work during the week those right? kind we, of hours yeah too. The, yeah so wow. so we and uh he was part of the 5 day marathon one year with me and uh <laughs> there's some stories uh, oh, yeah. Probably a little off color maybe, but uh, some really good stories from that week and uh, some memories that uh, I'll never forget. And that's where I got to meet a lot of the guys the first time who I still have relationships with today across the industry. And uh, sure. But, uh, yeah, that's probably my favorite memory. How big a staff did you have there at there was uh, There was probably 12 to 15 full-time employees. Wow. And then a whole... S- slew of you know race day staff that <clears throat> that racetrack was really unique in that it was one of the first multifaceted facilities of its time it used the shutdown of the drag strip as part of the road course hmm. so it had a had a professional karting track it had a motocross track it had a drag strip a road course and uh, and a mud bog so it was a, <laughs> it was a really uh, unique multi-use facility mm-hmm. and that's probably how i ended up at virginia was i had some after after there i, I went up to virginia and uh had some opportunity to work with the NHRA and run NHRA national events, which at that time in my life was was really interesting to me. It's, you know, NHRA is, is the bar by which all of drag racing is measured. Sure. Right? So the opportunity to hang out with some of those guys and, and rub elbows with some NHRA stars and be part of an NHRA national event, uh, it it felt like it was a big deal, and it was, so... We uh moved up to Virginia and ran that racetrack, but that was another multi-use facility. Oh, yeah, so
0: that, that <laughs> we when we were out there in two thousand fifteen or two thousand sixteen, I don't remember which year, but we we drove around one night on the golf cart. And we mm-hmm. drove for a long ways, and it's, <laughs> and and my wife was like, you know, this seems like the the land of, of broken dreams for somebody because there, there's all sorts of stuff there that you'd never even know. It's about.
2: 550 acres, is, right? Is that right? Yeah, over 50 acres of asphalt. This <laughs> yeah. this place is Virginia like 88 acres. Yeah.
0: The US 131 Motorsports Park's on like 88 acres. Yeah, that's 500 acres.
2: Yeah, it was 550. Yes, yeah, 550 yeah. acres, and had it had, a, it had a, a professional motocross track. I had a uh had a mud bog and a tractor pull and then of course the uh the drag strip as well. Yeah. Had a BMX track. Yeah, had a BMX track, Yeah, I You're remember right. that. And it seemed like
0: there was like a an RC track. It did. Like yeah. A really sweet RC track. Yeah, there track. was
2: an RC track. There was in through the part of the woods they had a uh like four-wheeler side-by-side type oh, really? trails and uh <laughs> it's the uh, the most scenic shutdown turnoff in all of racing. It's got to be one of the longest too. It is. It's uh, it's its <laughs> 9 tenths of a mile from the burnout box to the turnoff. Yeah. I
0: tried to take the last one out and and I gave up because I thought I was going to hit a city street or something. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's it's massive.
2: it's very scenic, right? It is. And, and the NHRA always scenic. says that when they come there, it's uh, it, it's almost like driving through to grandma's house, right? Yeah. It's through the woods and it's very curvy. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was always uh, it was always a unique feature of Virginia. But so that's kind of where I uh, I don't want to say I made my name, but that's that's where I really met a lot of people and had the opportunity. And uh, so I I was kind of I don't know if I was. Uh, Thinking about doing something different, but at the time, VP was coming out with their own line of traction compounds, and I was doing a lot of testing there, and we were doing a lot of NHRA testing, so I got to try a lot with a lot of pro mods and a lot of pro stock cars, sure. and they, uh, they came to me and said, hey, you know, you're doing a lot of testing. How would you like to travel for us and go work on racetracks? Mm-hmm. So I did that for about a year and a half, uh, and then uh, left there briefly, and uh, I became an executive at NAPA. Right. So still in the automotive industry outside of motorsports, but still talking about cars and parts and I ran all their wholesale business here. I was responsible for that in the state of Michigan and uh, met a lot of great people, really honed my skills uh as a professional, I guess you might say. Sure. And I guess for those who really know me, probably could tell you that they could still use a lot of work, but uh <laughs> just had a great had a great time there and it was a really good opportunity uh to to meet a lot of people and and then uh, ultimately got the call one day from vp that basically said why don't you come home yeah and uh so that's where we're at and just always been a, a motorsports fan uh been just been an overall gearhead and uh, vp really allows me to that freedom right like we are in everything we're in all sorts of motorsports so sure how long sure. you been at vp and what's your title now so i'm now the uh the Directing man or managing director, I guess, of international sales. International sales. Yeah. So I, I spend. Uh, I'm responsible for all of VP's business interests outside North America. Mm-hmm. Right. So.
0: So like, when when drag racing made this huge splash, over in like oh well
1: Australia is a good example.
0: Yeah, Australia, but like even in the Middle East.
2: Yeah, Australia, the Middle East. Oh, yeah. Uh, the obviously, Middle there's is... there is drag racing in Europe, um, but you know the uh the, the middle east market has really exploded oh, yeah. uh you know there's you know just being transparent you know there's there's no shortage of money in the yeah. middle east for most of those people right. and uh, the the sheiks of those countries uh decided that they really had this passion for motorsports oh, and yeah. drag racing in particular pro mods right, more, right. more notably right, and right. they decided that the, that's what they were going to be into so there's there's world class facilities now in in Qatar, yep. In Kuwait, yep. Uh, in Saudi Arabia, wow. and uh, of course Abu Dhabi, and oh, yeah. they're they're, uh, they're talking about building the new one in Dubai. When I was there, I was in the Middle East at the end of March, I believe it was. Uh, I met with some people, and uh, I'm on the I'm believe it or not I'm on an advisory board to build a new racetrack in the Middle East, <laughs> just from <clears throat> from the VP standpoint, um, right. Mm-hmm. just as uh, it's important to our brand, right. That they build and we continue to build new racetracks, but, um, racetracks and that they use, right, that's sure. the important thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Sure. You know, just a, just a quick kind of side story. Al Houston used to be a regular here, right? Yeah. He sure. 65 Nova that he ran every week. Mm-hmm. That car is now in Kuwait yeah. racing. It went over and, on and a boat. didn't? It? Yeah, it did. And it, it, I ask Al every once in a while, how, if, you know, if he's heard from the guy that mm-hmm. bought it and. Yeah, he hears from him on a fairly regular basis, and mm-hmm. the thing he's putting way too much nitrous to it, and it's going faster than it was ever made made to go. But mm-hmm. no, that's
2: yeah, fun. that's the that's their mentality there. Right? it either need it, nothing's NA, right. right? Nothing's naturally aspirated. So bigger oh. cubic inch, lots of nitrous turbos, blowers, you name it. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's real cool. Do so they have bracket racing, in the middle East? Not, not to my knowledge, there's not much of a bracket race program because there's not a lot of people who would participate in a bracket race no kidding it would be more of inclined to heads up first to the finish lots Mm -hmm. of horsepower drag racing is is a big part of middle eastern culture but the other thing would be sand racing or hill climb stuff okay right Mm -hmm. there's no shortage of the opportunity or the places to do that right so and it's uh it and it's full timing system i mean it's a professionally built put together deal and you know they're running uh you know, they're running, you know, blown Hemis oh, and, no and sand trucks there. So, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, there, and there's no shortage of parts. I mean, there's a lot of American companies there. And they really, the Middle East culture really loves Americana. So okay brands that are popular here are really popular, whether it's in, you know, in the, in the Emirates or in Kuwait or Saudi or Qatar. or so. Wow. No kidding. So
0: I guess, I mean, without getting too terribly sidetracked here, what does a, a day at the racetrack look like in, say, Qatar?
2: It, it starts late, right? Their culture stays up late. They're not interested in getting up early. It's more, they're, even though it's, uh, I think it's about an eight-hour time difference from here to there. Yep. They almost work more on an American time schedule and that they would rather start, like a trade show here would start at 7 or 8 a.m., 9 a.m., something like that. There it would start at 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon and then go till midnight. Oh, no Because kidding. that's when their culture is awake. And that's, mm-hmm. that's when they like doing those types of things. So at the racetrack there, it's very similar. Okay. It, it's very uh it's it's typically unorganized by mm-hmm. our standard. Sure. Right. But it's uh it's two or three qualifiers and then mm-hmm. just race and okay. They have a lot of fun, they really enjoy it. Sure. Sounds like a big tire grudge race. <laughs> it, it is.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much the way what they have it here.
0: Okay. Well, being that I mean, we we all burn some sort of fuel meant for racing in, in some aspect or another, I guess what, I mean, what kind of gas options are out there? And and let's talk a little bit more on the technical side of race gas, specifically VP race gas.
2: Sure. So I'll give you a little bit of backstory here on VP as a company, and then we can, we can leave the VP message behind. and We'll just talk about fuel in general, Like, well, (laughs) I'm a VP guy, but we can, we can talk technically about Mm -hmm. just race fuel or different types of uh, fuels. So, VP Racing Fuel is almost 45 years old, okay. headquartered in San Antonio, Texas, uh, and that's where every fuel that VP has today is, uh, is developed. That's where it's packaged, and then that's where it's shipped from. Okay. So, uh, a, a gentleman named Steve Burns started VP. Uh, it's literally the, I would call the definition of the American success story, and the fact that it started in his parents' garage. OK, so he is a uh, his father was in the uh, was in the military. So there's a there's a real Americana and a real patriotism to VP. If you'll notice, there's an American flag on everything that we produce. Sure. On every drum, on every pail. So mm-hmm. there's that's a big thing. And and as a young kid, Steve's father told him that everything man knew was in the Library of Congress okay. in Washington, D.C. So Steve had later on in his life as a late high school you know, early 20-something, he had a a V6 car that uh, had a a higher compression piston in it, and it wouldn't run off of anything that he could get commercially. Mm -hmm. So as a kid who grew up in South Texas, he had access to a lot of chemical facilities, a lot of gas and oil industries Mm -hmm. down there. So he would beat on every door until he could find out or find the right things that he needed. And he learned— at the Library of Congress from declassified World War II information about fuels. Okay. And how to make a higher octane fuel than what was commercially available. And then what components he could put with it to 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 ultimately make a high-performance fuel. So not long after he did that, he'd run around to racetracks uh, in South Texas, Dallas-Fort Worth area, and then he'd give a lot of this stuff away to different racers, and there's a couple of guys named Raren Morrison, who mm-hmm. happened to from, be from that part from of the world. Right. Yeah. Right. So he became really close with them, and then that's ultimately when VP started to really become the driving force in the industry that it is today. Sure. And you know, at the time, Pro Stock, right? Oh yeah. Johnson, Glidden, Bruce Allen, right? Names that we all grew up knowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no fuel rule, oh. and they were. It was the trick of the week. So they were mixing the trick of the week down <laughs> sure. at down at uh, down in Texas, and um, you know Warren Johnson's got some quotes actually that say when when the drum ran out, so did his performance. Mm-hmm. Right, so whatever okay. Steve had given him that week, that might be better than somebody else's. And uh, ultimately, over the time, you know, Pro Stock was was the was the best proving ground because there was so many rules inside of that engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in the car in general that allowed it to be an even playing field. And we sure. could really find out whose, whose fuel had the best performance. What so, kind of compression ratio on a Pro Stocker? I'm not sure today. Very high, though. Well, right? I, you know, I'm not sure. But I, here's what I can tell you. I was at uh, Gray Motorsports about two and a half or three years ago, and we were on the dyno with what was then a carbureted Pro yep. Stock motor. Yep. yep. Right. And... On VP's at the time spec pro stock fuel. Sure. It was called C25. Mm-hmm. Uh, we took that out of it and poured in about a 95 or 98 octane unleaded, and it made within 10 horsepower. Really? What? Yeah. So that fuel today is the spec fuel. The, the unleaded fuel is the spec fuel for European pro stock. Okay. It's called SVO5. Nobody here would ever even have heard of it. Sure. They wouldn't have any reason or to Or would they it. ever try it? No, right. there wouldn't be any reason to. Right. Uh, so, but uh, yeah, we made the change from from leaded to, to unleaded on that particular application. That motor was going to Europe. So we, we just wanted to bench test it and back to back it to see where we were at mm-hmm. uh, with the unleaded fuel. But I got a little sidetracked there. But ultimately, uh, fuel technology is what's always put VP at the forefront of the industry. Sure. So... Um, VP is not a refiner of fuels. I think that's a common misconception uh as of VP as a company. It's a blender of components. Okay, so VP takes different hydrocarbon components, brings them in via rail car, tank truck, whatever that is, and then blends them together per the chemist's recommendation based on the application. All right? So fuel is a is a very uh specific application specific type product and a lot of people consider it a commodity where i consider it just as important as a hard part
0: oh sure definitely especially in a, in a racing application yeah for Cause, sure because you can i mean you, you put the you, i guess when you build an engine you wouldn't you wouldn't run a you know a cheap piston in your you know billet crank and and high dollar block and and you know a a good set of rods you wouldn't put like a hyper eutectic piston on on the top of that and then you know try to spray it with 250 or 300 horse nitrous yeah it's it's important (laughs) it's important
2: that you get the right fuel for your application it doesn't matter if it's in your street car or your race car or your your motocross bike it doesn't matter right Right. making sure you have the right fuel so vp is currently over 80 blends 80 unique blends of fuel that we sell Mm -hmm. no
0: kidding and and that's a i mean from from talking to people who aren't in the know as far as racing goes. It's one of the most common questions. Like what, if I were to put racing fuel, race gas in my street car, will it go faster?
2: Yeah. Well, we, no. O- yeah, no, we often <laughs> the get the answer's you know, No. And we often get the question, you know, as I travel and, and people ask you what you do for a living and, and you tell them that you're in the, the, the performance fuel and oil industry. The first question bar none is what's the highest octane fuel you sell. Yeah. Every time.
0: Yep. Cause, Cause that's something that, that, people can relate to yeah they have a basic understanding
2: so yeah so the word octane gets commonly misused and thrown around uh but by even people in our own industry sure right yeah octane is is purely the number it's the measure to resist detonation right right Right. so it's pretty important yeah it is important but it's simply a tool right it's simply a tool and a measurement that we use uh within the industry so because it has a high-octane number doesn't mean it runs anything better than a low-octane number, which, I, you know, that's kind of where I was going when I talked about a right. high-octane leaded fuel versus a low-octane unleaded fuel in a pro-stock motor. It didn't detonate. It and made almost just as much horsepower. Right. So it's all about the other components that are in the fuel. Sure.
1: Boy, that's a hard, hard thing to get, get your head around, you know. Absolutely. What? You think a 112 from this guy is the same as 112 from another. You kind of go yeah.
2: by those after There is, and again, you know, I work for VP, and and, and it's a, it's a great company, and they've been really good to me. Mm-hmm. Um, buying a quality, consistent fuel is the most important thing. If you don't buy a VP one ten or C twelve, you know, if you if you're using a different brand, those those companies make good fuels too, right? We're not sure. interested in in talking bad about our competition. You know, they they they're they're working just as hard as we are every single day. To, to make a quality product for their customer base. Oh, sure. yeah. For sure. So, so just make sh- you want to make sure that you get a a, a good name brand, right? Quality, mm-hmm. consistent, preferably, I prefer it to be in a package, whether that comes in a five-gallon pail or a 55-gallon drum, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, getting a quality drum is important as well. Oh, yeah. So all mm-hmm. VP drums are brand new, and they all have a, a polyurethane lining in them, mm-hmm. right? So, wow. You know, to to resist against corrosion, that'd probably really help with the alcohol barrels. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's, so that's interesting. and And we've talked a little
0: bit about gas and and Gary mentioned alcohol. What are some of the other fuels that are neither or that aren't gas that are being used in in sports, specifically drag racing today?
2: Well, obviously you have gas, right? right. A hydrocarbon based fuel right? yep. that, that typically starts out with a uh, with an alkali type base. Um, and not to get too too over the top technical, but that that's the number one fuel most commonly chosen in drag racing applications. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a methanol, right? Oh yeah, which is a byproduct of a methane gas. Yep. And there's a lot of misconceptions in the world about methanol. There's only two producers mm-hmm. of methanol in the world, right? We and so whether it's VP, Sunoco, Renegade, uh, the your local guy, right? They're sourcing it from one of those couple of places, right? Right. So uh, MethaneX and nexio there's, there's only two producers two distributors in the world of it's a byproduct of natural metho- gas correct uh, that's pulled out of the ground okay so in in and our the other our sorry i don't want to i don't want to cut you off the other one would be ethanol sure right which would be a, a typically here in the united states it's a corn base right. product right. and uh, ethanol uh often Commonly referred to in in my world, right, as a as a poor man's race fuel, right. Sure. And no knock on it, uh, it it makes power. It does. Right? It runs extremely well. It runs cool. Yep. It's a consistent product. Mm-hmm. Again, you need to make sure you get it from a reputable source. Oh yeah. And you need to make sure that you know, no matter what percentage of ethanol it's supposed to be, that y- you need to make sure you know what the other percentage is. So if it's an eighty five percent ethanol, what's the other fifteen percent? Right. Yeah. Like yeah, that's exactly. that's the most common. Yeah. So you're talking E85, you're
1: right. right? E85, and, and of course, yeah. our regular pump
0: gas has 10% ethanol.
1: Sure, right. Right. right? Okay.
0: So, and 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 that's that's the that is the the, the question too. Like, so you go by E85 out of the gas pump, and that's blended based on the load, right? They're not they're not bringing a a tanker specifically that's blended at 8515 ethanol
2: gas. Leak. Correct. It can be very inconsistent. Right. The other thing right. is, is that it's hydroscopic. Oh right? yeah. So it, it absorbs moisture at yep. a rapid pace. Oh, same, same with methanol. Yeah. True. Methanol is too. That's right. correct. Too,
1: but it's not in a container like you talked about. Correct. It's a, it, it coming methanol out of the ground. Is, yeah. Methanol
2: it. is typically, uh, you know, packaged in a drum or a, some yeah. sort of bulk containment right. type deal. Uh, but in, in, the other thing is you don't know how, how the ethanol has been stored. Right? So it's just sure. you just need to make sure you get it from a reputable source. I don't ha- mm-hmm. obviously have anything against guys who are that are that are running ethanol or choose that for their application. They just need to make sure that they're getting it from somewhere that's consistent and clean. And we just hate to see anybody have any issues, right? Sure. We all work really hard to put together a performance program and. Just want to make sure that we protect that investment the best we can. Absolutely. The yeah. guys
1: that run E85, don't they check it? Yeah, most uh, most often. I ran it for
0: geez, five or six years, I think. I ran yeah. E85, and and I would I would go, I'd buy a barrel at a time. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I would test it and and know where it's at as far as what the you know what the the gauge says as far as ethanol content goes. Mm-hmm. Some of that could have even been water because you test it with water. <laughs> so oh. you you you've got a pre predetermined size of container. And you fill it up to a certain point with water and you fill the rest of it up with the fuel yep. and it will separate out the gas. Yep. And that, wherever that's that how line you measure is, it. Yeah, and, and, how that,
2: you measure. and that's that's the other thing. And again, I don't, I don't want to get too far off of track here, but when you, when you think about storing your classic car, right. your hot rod, your street car, your snowblower, your weed eater, whatever it is, is the ethanol is heavier than gas. Yes. Right? So it separates. So when you use any sort of uh, fuel additive yep right so whenever you use a fuel additive what that does is it tries to hold that ethanol in suspension so that it doesn't fall out right. so it doesn't sure. actually make the fuel any better all it's doing is just trying to prolong that process Keep right? it mixed up Yep. yeah that makes sense
0: so you know another fuel that i mean nobody around here really uses nitromethane VP is involved in nitromethane. Sure. As well.
2: VP for a long time has been has been in the nitro business. We still are today. Uh, when you think nitro methane, you oh, think yeah. top fuel funny car. Right. Mm-hmm. Top fuel Harley. Right. So right. Um, there's no other known component that makes the explosion that nitromethane does. Oh yeah. It's a very volatile product. Yeah. Um it's uh it's, it needs to be handled correctly. Sure. Uh, all the world's nitro that's used in motorsports comes from China. Right. I've so that. there's only a couple, again, a couple of manufacturers of nitro methane as well. Okay. So VP, uh, st- again, still in the nitro business today, not at yeah. the level at which we once were, mm-hmm. uh, no longer having the NHRA agreement or the contract to supply those teams, Uh, But we still certainly are in the nitro business. We have nitromethane available for some of the nostalgia nitro cars and and some of of those things. The the nitro handling process, when it comes in, is very unique in the fact that it comes into the port of Long Beach. It would then have to be trucked to San Antonio. We would put it through a filtering process, and then you have to put a safety die in it at the same time. And then we would take it out of the, the Chinese drum and put it in a, the line drum. VP drum. Right. So the reason that you put a safety die in it is so that when you open it, that it hasn't gone bad. Right. And and okay. And I'm not completely up to speed on what going bad exactly entails. There's some nitro experts out there that would tell us. Mm. But basically that means don't use it. Right. Okay. Because it's a very uh it's a very unique component. Oh for sure. Right. So you gotta be careful uh when you're messing with it. And uh so but, yeah, we're certainly still in the nitro business. I'm literally you know,
1: getting goosebumps when you're talking about nitros. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, you can— I wish I had a little
0: jar at home I could just uh, open yeah, it. Yeah, there up. you go. Crack it open take and take it. a yeah. whiff. huh?
2: Yeah, we know that it's, it's, a, it's a very combustible
0: Right, right but it's, chemical. it's not flammable, right? I mean, I mean the flash
2: point on it's much different than that right. of gasoline. So,
0: like, what I'm saying is you can spill it on the ground.
2: And hold and a live. Throw a match it. in yes. it and it's not gonna light. Okay.
0: Correct. You spill oh. it on concrete and hit it with a hammer though? Watch out. Look out. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've, I've yeah, I've never tried it myself, but that's uh, <laughs> that's that's the nature of the beast, I guess. And and so when, when uh say top fuel's running or, or top fuel funny cars, whatever, they're they're running at like ninety percent nitromethane, right? right. Somewhere probably. in that neighborhood. Yeah, and, probably. and it's cut with methanol, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's just, it's, I mean, that, yeah, like you said, I get goosebumps thinking about it and let's talking about nitromethane. But, and it's, sure. it's been around a while. Do you, I mean, do you know where where nitromethane, what, what its primary use is?
2: I know it's used in the agricultural industry. Hmm.
0: But as far as what I'm they use, I'm not
2: sure it for, exactly yeah, what it's I don't used know for. either.
1: No. no the goosebumps happened when he said the most volatile <laughs> known to man.
2: Yes, <laughs> yeah. it is. And I, and I do know that there's, that they've worked hard on attempting to find a potential alternative and they have not
0: sure what was what was that in the sixties that it was like hydrazine or something like that that they tried for a while that was i mm. mean it was just too there's been a handful of
2: different things yeah. that basically they only shut off when they run out of fuel
0: right oh yeah it's the the mechanics of a of a top fuel engine are are just they're crazy i mean the the tips of the spark plugs are burnt off by like a hundred feet—it's it, essentially dieseling itself. Mm-hmm. You know the mags aren't doing a whole lot anymore, <laughs> so wow. it's it's unreal. It's it's pretty pretty cool stuff. But and and it, you know it seems like it's got some sort of fountain of youth aspect to it too, because I mean you think about guys like Don garlitz and Chris Carminesini's who's still doing it in in well, his you know, upper eighties.
2: As we started earlier, right? As we stated earlier, there's there's. There's a, this is a disease for which there is no cure. <laughs> You're right. I mean, here we are, and, and you know, it's a great thing when you when you take a look at drag racing in general versus other forms of motorsports. It it certainly appears that it's the one you can do the longest.
0: Oh, most definitely.
2: Right. Absolutely. So, so there's a that's a that's a pretty neat thing, right? When you see all these guys that you know that that you've raced with or you've been around with. They still get out and do it at a high level. Oh, and yeah. have the ability to compete week in and week out, whether it's sure. here locally or nationally. It, it doesn't matter. So mm-hmm. it's uh, that, that is one thing that I, I certainly enjoy about the sport is yeah, the long sure. longevity
1: of it. It's ageless, yeah. It is. It really what, is. How old is John Force? John is
0: 70, 71 maybe. Yeah, yeah seven, right, right around right there. Right around there. there. Be, yeah. Remember
1: Eddie Hill was in his oh, 80s? Yeah. Still Eddie recent? Hill.
0: Exactly. Eddie Hill, I mean, locally, Louis Hall. Yeah. I mean, somebody who's been around seemingly forever. I mean, Louis was old when I was a kid. I suppose it's a a sport you could take up at any age and and continue for a
1: long, long time.
0: Definitely. So So just, I guess, I mean, to kind of get away from fuel a little bit, and, I mean, the the technical aspect I really get into, but I'm sure not everybody does. Um, In your opinion, being that you are involved heavily with motorsports and specifically drag racing a lot, what does the next what do the, ten, the next 10 years look like in your opinion?
2: I, I, I firmly believe, and again, this is, this is exactly that, my opinion. I believe motorsports in general is in a better place than people believe it to be or would leave others to, to believe it to be. Sure. And what I mean by that is I think there's, a, there's, this, uh, there's this belief or there's this idea that, that motorsports is dying. And I hear that all the time, right? That the millennials, right? They they want, they want to play on phones and, and video games. And there's certainly, uh, you know, perceptions are all based on some sort of reality. So right. you're right. There's not a lot of new blood potentially that comes into drag racing. Um, you know, if you go hang out at a World of Outlaws sprint car race, right? Or a Northeast big block modified race. Okay. Or a motocross race. There's a lot of younger people there. Oh, sure. Right? Now, if you go walk around an NHRA class race, Uh, that's a little bit different of a deal. There's a whole lot of gray hair and no hair, you know, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. So, um, again, HRA has some challenges ahead. Oh, for Uh, sure. Both, uh, both at their grassroots level about how do we, how how do we, how do we take junior dragster kids? How do we get more kids into juniors first? Second, how do you get more kids, young people, boys, girls, whatever, when it's time to transition out of junior dragsters, how do we get more of them in big cars? Right. And how do we get more of them to stick with it as their life changes For as sure. they go from high school to college to married to kids? Like, how do we continue that that path that we keep them in motorsports? So, mm-hmm. I, I think drag racing in general has a bigger challenge than, than most other motorsports. But if you right. if you get to a like I said to a World of Outlaw race or any any dirt track race on a Friday or Saturday night, it. It's typically a group or groups of young people working on race cars. No kidding. And, yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, you know you go to a motocross track and you know that that's not an old that's not an older guy sport anyway. You can get beat right. up pretty oh, bad for and, sure. You, know, sure. you got to be in really good shape to do that. And, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, there's a, there's a great opportunity for young people to be involved in motorsports. And um, I think the overall when you start talking about motorsports, it it leads me to like. To the automotive aftermarket, into the specialty performance market. You know, just just last week I was reading an article about um, the, the specialty equipment market is $43 billion. No kidding. So that's billion with a B, guys. Right. $43 billion. So there's still a lot of people. hmm Thinking buying,
0: about cars. Buying parts. Yes. Trying to make their cars faster.
2: Faster, right. look better, right? Whether it's tires, wheels. And, and You know, there's this whole accessory market. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I, I read that $12 billion of that was spent on trucks. No kidding. So whether that's new tonneau covers or different wheels or... or Lift kits, it, Yeah, it doesn't name. matter, right? Yep. Absolutely. So there's this whole culture that still loves cars. Oh, for sure. So the, the traditional gearhead like us, mm-hmm. right, that still puts a carburetor on something mm-hmm. and thinks that a 67 Chevy two or a 69 Camaro or a Fox body Mustang, right, or, a, you know, a G body or something like that is mm-hmm. cool, like that may be going away a little bit, but hot rod culture is not going anywhere. No,
0: and, and that's evidenced too by the the manufacturers. I mean, mm-hmm. there's not been this kind of factory support into muscle cars and into... Basically making cars fast. Yeah. Including Since the 60s. I mean, yeah, we,
2: we, well, we all talked about, or we've all, we've all had the discussion that the late 60s, early 70s yeah. was the best era for, for cars and car people. And you, mm. it's hard to disagree with until now. Right. Like a Copo Camaro, a Drag Pack Challenger, or a Cobra Jet Mustang. Oh, yeah. And in today's, today's performance street car you could get in it and drive it to California.
0: Absolutely. Right. And and I'm not saying go, that you
2: couldn't <clears throat> some of those other ones, but it wouldn't sure wouldn't be near as comfortable. No. no. It wouldn't have air conditioning. You're it right. wouldn't have power steering. Sure so w- w- while some of that stuff is still really unique and it's really cool, and, and I still get into walking through a car show, mm-hmm. right? It, the car culture is alive and well. The, the performance aftermarket is alive and well. Uh, and I think it will continue that way. You know, the the important thing to remember, and I and I, I preach this to, to my sales guys that work with me and other manufacturers, is if you're in the automotive aftermarket or the specialty equipment or the motorsports segment of business, we have the unique opportunity to make a living off somebody else's hobby. Oh, absolutely. And when you let that sink in for a minute, I always joke that I'm one of the few people that shows up at a drag race and I'm there to make money and everybody else is there to spend it. <laughs> right. And and that's important to remember. This is your customer base. Absolutely. So, you know, we got to keep feeding it. And I'm on a few different advisory councils uh in different motorsports segments to to talk about young people and to get more young people into motorsports and mm-hmm. and what that looks like and how we can continue these feeder programs and it's it's really important. Um, I've got to do something probably for the next 30 years. Right. Uh, right. so and I just as soon it be this. I just soon be in motorsports of some form right. or fashion. Absolutely. So,
0: I mean Sounds like good. it it it's gonna look different, probably, say in the next ten, fifteen, twenty years. but i I tend to agree with you, mark, that the the car culture, the the see who's got the faster car is alive and well right now and and you know as a as a weekend warrior bracket racer who you know occasionally will show up on a Friday night and it while well, it does get frustrating because you're trying to you're there to 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 try to make something better or try to fix an issue. All those guys that are out there beating up their cars—that I mean—they're having a blast. They
2: are—they're
0: mm-hmm. who we really need to be mentoring. And, and yeah, and I
2: mean, when you and I show up on a Friday night and the staging lanes are full, we get really frustrated because we're here to work on a specific issue. Right. However, without all the people who come and hang out on Friday night, it, it, the the place just wouldn't be the same. Right. And the, and the racetrack needs everybody. It needs, yeah. it needs a heads up racer. It needs a test and tuner. It needs the weekly bracket racer yep. and the program needs that to survive. Now, I, I don't know, maybe I didn't or didn't answer your question there, but when you talk about, when you think about bracket racing, right, if right. you want to get real specific, that was, that was the next, the so next question. If you want to get real specific question. on what bracket racing looks like in the next five or 10 years, I don't know that it looks a ton different as long as things are going well and the economy continues to be somewhat successful. Yep. And you know, the, the the uh the stock market continues to do well Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that you know motorsports or bracket racing in general will continue to do well there's been a shift right big money bracket racing has been all the rage right we all watch it on motor mania and you could catch you could catch a 10 grander on motor mania or one of those other live streaming uh formats or or markets uh like every week almost every weekend you're right right. and if that's what you truly wanted to do you could probably race Almost every weekend, somewhere in the country across the summer, for what we would all consider
0: big money—right, at least ten grand. Yeah, uh, and and being where we're at geographically, it's probably not super feasible. It's a to little bit more difficult, but realistically, I mean, it's not all that far to go for ten so, grand. So
2: weekend. I think that the landscape of of bracket racing uh, will continue to look similar. Mm-hmm. I don't believe you'll see quite as many big money bracket races. I think a few of the, uh, self promoted races, some of the, like the, uh, the, what we call the house races, right. The, the racetracks put on mm-hmm. will continue to thrive. Right. I think you may see a few more of those. You'll see a few more promoters, maybe take, uh, take those things into their own hands. Yep. I think you'll see a few of the, uh, the really adventurous or the really aggressive promoted ones. Uh, maybe, maybe scale back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, when we do watch these races, it's the same five or six hundred guys.
0: Oh, it is. Right? It really, it really is. You're right.
2: Going to the spring fling, going to the, yeah, Montgomery. the spring
0: fling million, and yeah. they're the same people that are going to be at the spring fling lot. Now, I mean, a few of the names and faces change. A How about bit. here at the 500? Here at the 500. I mean, that's that's gonna yeah, be it, the same. Yeah,
2: the, it'll be group. the same core. It'll be the same couple hundred guys, and then, of course, there'll be some locals. And anybody can win at any time. So, there, so there's that. Um, but I think you'll see. I think you'll see a few racetracks step up their game. Yeah. Right? Like, I think you'll see, you know, like here, right? Correct. Weekly purses have elevated. Sure, Boy, absolutely. There's, there's a couple of fives, right? right. Uh, so mm-hmm. you, you'll see that. You know, again, the landscape has changed over the last five years, but I, I don't think it'll change drastically. Uh, I think uh, the Spring Fling brand will continue to prosper. That's a sure. well-run organization. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that the, the traditional million is now the most prestigious win in bracket racing at Montgomery. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. may see that. kind of level off right it's over 600 cars in in the smaller races now so i think you'll see that maybe come back a little bit but overall the races that are well ran uh and pay good money but will be well supported yep um and you know that they're the, the good consistent races so um i look forward to uh to being a part of it you know for our business model we like we like the concept we like multiple races over the course of four or five days. Oh, for sure. Um, sure. That's, so, that's
0: everybody burning fuel. Absolutely. And a lot of it. Yeah, cars,
2: <laughs> Yeah, if we could put them all back on the long track. Oh, yeah, that'd that so, help you out a lot as but, far as sales so, go. Yeah, but ultimately, I think, uh, you know, and, and even here, the format has changed some, right? I mean, we're doing a lot more two-day races yep. and, yeah. Yeah, than
1: absolutely. we have in the
2: past, and uh, that seems to be well-supported. So. Yeah, that's for sure. So how many guys are bracket racing for a living? A dozen?
1: 15? Um, it's it's specifically bracket racing. Doing it for Kenny. I
0: don't you know, know
2: that. I don't know that there's, there's a dozen. Even that many. There, no, I don't Just think Just maybe a even handful.
0: Yeah, now, there, there's there's a lot of guys that will. That's that's part of what they're doing, but they're they're slinging parts on the side. They're doing something. There's there's yeah. some other side hustles going on mm-hmm. to
2: help support that bracket racing.
1: Uh, Mark, you can buy a VP racing fuel here. I think they have a half
2: a dozen different brands here, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The track's obviously supported but, by VP. Uh, I think one of the scoreboards, is still a VP scoreboard. Yeah. So yeah, we've, we've certainly got a great relationship with Jason and Stephanie, and VP is available here at the racetrack. Uh, what uh, a local
1: bracket racer here at the US 131 Motorsports Park. Where do they go to buy fuel in bulk?
2: I think most of them would get it here. Yeah, I think right. so. I mean, Cause they for the cause,
1: for the season to to
2: get your barrel or whatever to have sure it you, at home can, you yeah it? I think Jason does some preseason ordering stuff and he, oh, you can get you so he can order good. drums in five gallon pails. Yeah, it's got a couple of fuels in bulk, I believe. So. Yep. So no,
1: no other place in Kalamazoo area or even I believe in that uh, Coast, Michigan. I
2: do believe Crystal Flash. Do
0: they still uh, on do Pitcher some...
2: Street? Is a is a VP dealer? Oh, okay. okay, so they're involved. So, oh yeah, and hey. there's
0: there's some. I mean, there's some other. I guess some local guys doing some stuff too, and and that's always available. I mean, heading out and
1: buying bulk yeah. orders. Yeah, I see that too. Eighty blends. How do you pick out of eighty blends? Well, it's,
2: it's yeah, that's a good question. Application specific. Right, so that's the one thing that I would tell you that VP really prides itself on is we have just a fantastic technical staff. Um, Our head tech and R&D guy is a uh, is a world was I say was still is in my opinion uh, a world class engine builder, Um, multiple time Mm -hmm. Daytona 500 engine builder winner. Oh, okay. I right. spent a lot of time wow. at, uh, at Childress, at Labani, at Hendrick. Mm-hmm. So just a guy who's really knows his way around a, around an engine room. So that's our head guy. He does all of our technical stuff in R and D and those guys can help point you in the right direction. Uh, they talk to engine builders all day, every day And and what, what fuel you pick depends a lot on your application and what you're trying to get it to do, uh, Mm-hmm. You know, cylinder heads play a big part in that, right? Whether yeah, it's carbureted or fuel injected, it's cannot, not just uh, compression.
0: Nope, no, no. Because I mean, a, a perfect example of that's like is the Brodix SR20 heads. Yeah, and, and we've talked a little bit about it before, but like you could take that cylinder head and put it on your engine that normally runs on methanol, it ain't gonna be happy. It it's not gonna run as well as it would. He's I guess. correct. Yeah.
2: So like the well, uh, yeah the SR20 is uh, is typically a uh, 114 or 116 octane fuel. Yeah. Okay. Depending on what fuel, what carb or sorry, depending on what uh, what pistons in it, what uh what it, what uh carburetor intake is on it. So, so you go to your engine builder for this or the technical. Line? Well, either one, right? Both of them are good places to start. Right? You can you can check out VP's website at vpracingfuels.com. Uh those tech guys, those those numbers ring right to their cell phone. Right? So those guys answer it all day long. They answer their their mm-hmm. technical emails um so yeah if you have a specific question you can certainly get a hold of them it doesn't matter if you're a two-wheel guy four-wheel guy there's specific people who the answer uh there's a different tech line for drag racing than for circle track oh, than wow. for motocross mm-hmm. so we have industry experts who answer all those lines but uh okay. yeah i mean the engine builder is always a good place to start and we have uh we have a lot of relationships with a lot of the key influential in- engine builders in mm-hmm. specific markets is you know those guys They want the best package they can put together for their customer. They want it to be the best value. And and in our world, we want it to to certainly live as long as we can make it live. So, you know, running the right oil, running the right fuel, and just Mm -hmm. overall taking good care of your stuff uh, Mm -hmm. certainly helps that. Like
1: you said, it's part of the parts list.
2: Absolutely. It's considered a hard part.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, Mark, I uh, can't thank you enough for coming and hanging out with us for a little bit. I hope everybody enjoys our talk as much as, as I certainly have. And I'm oh, sure Gary's enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. So if you
2: guys see me running around the racetrack and you got a fuel question or something, just feel free to stop me, ask me. Great. Happy to give you any advice I can. And uh, good to know. At least point you in the right direction. Oh, for yeah. sure.
0: Well, thanks again, Mark. And that's going to do it for episode 27, of mm-hmm. Modified to the Lanes. That's right. I'd like to thank you once again for tuning in and, and listening to our podcast. It's available wherever you find your podcasts on on iTunes and and soundcloud and, and google play and like we said at the beginning if, if you wouldn't mind just rating us accordingly and, and leaving us a comment let us know what you think or send us a message on facebook or if you've got our number or whatever text message us or stop up in the tower and say hi to gary on a saturday or sunday or let us know stop mm-hmm. me in the staging lanes or something and, and let us know what you think you so that's going to put a wrap on it thanks again mark wessler thank you cameron working through a few little technical difficulties here today, but I think we got it handled. So
1: Yeah, appreciate you being here, Mark. It was very
0: enlightening. I learned yeah, a ton.
2: Yeah, guys, thanks for having me.
0: Very good. We'll uh we'll see everybody at the track this week.